Hello everyone, welcome to the Luke Branquino Show. Hey, hit that subscribe button now. You're going to like it. Welcome to the Luke Branquino Show. Today's guest is the fire that keeps me rolling. Miss Lindsay Branquino, the mother of my children, the love of my life, the chef in my kitchen. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. We are going to discuss because a lot of people want to know about how we met. My side of the story and her side of the story are completely different and my side is right because I was there and I've seen it. So I'm going to give you my version first. We were in, I was, I was in Red Bluff as she was too at the rodeo. She was competing in the barrel racing and I was in the steer wrestling and um, I seen this good looking lady walk by and I was like, hey girl, hey, hey girl, hey, hey, hey. And like she was 10 feet from me and nothing, not a, just a over her face, kept walking. I'm like, well, there went the love of my life. I guess I'll never <laughs> see her again. But um, anyway, she says it happens different. You, first of all, your story changes every single time you reenact it. When we were actually in Red Bluff last time and I told you to show me exactly where we were, you were not 10 feet away. You were like 20 yards away. And you were like, I was also hiding behind a truck and just playing with you with binoculars. <laughs> so her story changes well. I'm going to go with 15 feet and not behind a truck with binoculars. Real, that was after she ignored me. And the real story is that we were at Livermore, not Red Bluff. Livermore's after so, Red Bluff. I know, several months later. Because how am I going to miss a guy like him? He's not like... What's that? I mean, you're substantial. It's hard to miss you. I was also, may have been blinded because I was in a cat roper phase at the time too. So maybe you just entered the wrong event. And then at Livermore, when you did say hi to me, you had a hot dog in your shirt pocket. It wasn't Livermore, that was Oh, Turlock. sorry, well, it was, you said See, hi she doesn't even know her own story. <laughs> God, confuse me, you said hi to me that morning, and then I thought, oh my gosh, she's so cute, we said hello, and then it was rodeo fate, because we just happened to be up again, the same rodeo, that same night, and then that's when you had the hot dog in your pocket. You looked hungry. She looked hungry. <laughs> so, and no mustard, no cat, just... It just had like, mustard on it. You don't remember anything. You said that it was at Livermore. Anyway, the point of the story is, I, my side of the story is right. She ignored me the first time, said hi to me the second time, and then I gave her a hot dog, and it was love at first sight after the hot dog. Did you fall in love with the hot dog? No. She does like hot dogs. <laughs> anyway, that was pretty much how we um, met. And then from yes. that point on, we sat in the trailer. After, after, actually, at Turlock. After the hot dog incident, we sat in the trailer before Slack for a couple hours. I didn't try to make a move, mm -mm, not one time. He didn't, it was so cute. And uh, then he wrote my phone number on the back of his checkbook because it was so long ago. That's when people still use things like checks to pay entry fees. <laughs> and then he ignored me for several months after that. I guess he was just getting me back from that time that he imagined. I said, I uh, didn't say hi to him at Red Bluff. I had to cut ties with all the other ones. <laughs> And then one thing that I really sticks out in my mind, we didn't get to spend a lot of um, Valentine's days together. How many of those were we together? Four, maybe? Those four that we were together, one was in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> she flew in from somewhere, I don't remember, but she was whooped down, tired. 
And I had a really nice hotel room. I think it was yes. right across from the Shoney's in Jackson, Mississippi. It was no, it was between the Shoney's and the Waffle House. Yes. And it was a real classy joint. But um, I had a nice. It was the it was the suite um, of that hotel, and had a you know Valentine's Day in the evening. And anyway, she gets in, and and like no sooner as her head hit the pillow, and she's snoring. And she says she doesn't snore. She was snoring that night. Fate happens to have it that the couple next door was having a really fun Valentine's night. I think Jamie and Roger were their names through the wall is all I could hear. But they were having a great night. And uh, that was, I think, our first Valentine's night together. Yeah, she. it was. But it was did, you, did you ever know why I was so tired? You never told me. Okay. So the reason I was so tired is because me and the girl I've been traveling with were staying in, um, or you got us, uh, you had called the Steiners and asked if I could stay there because I had a few days between rodeos. So they're like in Bastrop. So in Texas, outside of Austin, and I did have to go to Jackson after that, but not until uh, a couple days after he had to be there. And then he called us, or he called me and said that he was, he told me he was on his way to Jackson, he was up the next day, and I realized I was gonna miss him. I'd be showing up right after he left. So we loaded horses up in the trailer within a half an hour, and we drove all night from Texas to Mississippi. We didn't stop so that I could be there at the same time as him. And so by the time that I actually saw him, I'd been up for probably, I don't know, 36 hours straight, just so I could be in the same town as him, because that's dating when you're rodeoing. And fall asleep in the same bed. <laughs> At least I get to sleep next to him. That's true. I can remember getting her a set of pots. Blaine Jones and I were in, in, in um, San Antonio, which Blaine is now coincidentally my brother-in-law, married to her sister Holly. And I was like, holy shit, it is almost Valentine's Day and I haven't got her anything. So we go to, I don't know if it was a Williams Sonoma or, um, no, or it was Walmart. A, it might've been a Walmart, <laughs> but I ordered her some really fancy pots that had um, the Teflon. So nothing stuck to it when you cooked. That was one of the best gifts I can remember giving you all about this. Maybe on Valentine's Day, it doesn't beat the Christmas that you gave me the laser level and a hammer though. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> One second. This little thing here, we still use and this is it. It is a great- Probably not the same hammer, but we still use it. Here's the thing. It's a great thing to have on hand. It's not make it a great Christmas gift. Do you use it? It's still not a great Christmas gift. We'll let the viewers decide that. <laughs> if it's usable, it's a great gift. Okay, what are some of your great um, Valentine's gifts to me? Remember? I don't think I can say most of them on- No, that's what I can say. <laughs> That's why I only had the pots. I'm just giving you my love. Here's my favorite gifts that I ever get from Luke, is he writes the best cards, which is really funny because I can't remember the very first um, Valentine's Day that we were together and he gave me these cards and it was so cute because it was like he had gone to the store and bought the cards, but then he just, you know how when you buy a card, you kind of flip it under or you just slide it under the envelope flap. Like he gave them to me like that. They weren't even in the envelopes and he didn't even write their, his name in them, but there was more than one, which was funny. But since then, he is notorious for writing the best, cards that like come with flowers and things but my favorite part is that because he's hasn't been around when the flowers are delivered because he's always out of town he will like dictate them to the florist who then has to write these things which are sometimes personal and <laughs> slightly 
questionable. And she always writes them. She's the most amazing. So I get these like incredible cards that um, are sometimes rhyme, sometimes they're um, very, very loving, and they're always written in this beautiful lady's handwriting. Renee has beautiful handwriting. <laughs> she does. Beautiful flowers. There was just one the other day about um, the house smelling like farts when I'm gone. I mean, this is sweet stuff. You should. It's truth. Yeah. The truth comes from the heart, and it's mint. <laughs> this show doesn't work out. You should work from homework. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Other part I really loved too was the time that you had your mom bring me the gift. And so this is the best. I absolutely adore his mom. She's so funny, and she's very just like practical. Um, so she wrote out the card from him and it was like, so I love you so much. But then she has a stamp that she uses to endorse his check. So it's like an ink stamp and she ink stamped his signature on it. So it was signed um, by Luke Branquino. It's classy shit <laughs> right there. Really yeah. You, this is true, won me over because that night in Turlock that we sat in his trailer and just talked and talked and I'm such like a nervous, Nelly all the time and kind of shy and we sat there and I felt like I was talking to my best friend I was so comfortable and he made me feel so at ease and it made me laugh just a whole bunch like he shook my hand when we parted ways that night and I just remember thinking how nice it was like he never one time told me I was pretty he didn't try to make a move nothing and I just thought that's the kind of guy I marry and then I drove to Flagstaff, I drove from California to Flagstaff, and I saw my younger sister that next day, and I said, um, last night I met the guy I'm gonna marry. You should have seen what was happening in my head. <laughs> That's the perfect combo, right? You're thinking it, but not saying it. Right. And, and now I, he does the opposite. And I also, <laughs> I also made her her first peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He did, I'd never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before. What a weird. I don't know, I just, the idea of jelly really weirded me out. But now it's good. There's so many strange things about me, I think you just accept We're going to have a show, whole show on that. <laughs> on what? On strange things about me. Luke Franquino, can you tell us what you're wearing tonight? I got a pair of boots from Marriott. These recons are awesome. And how about that jacket? It's sure looking fancy on you. Thanks, I got it for that date night you're going to take me on. Valentine's night? <laughs> yeah. Um, so my jacket, and my cute little top are both Boot Barn, who you know that I love. Mm -hmm. um, and they're both Idlewind. It's a little leather business here. Fringy. And I got my little lacy cute top. Be great with some jeans or a skirt, something sassy. I got these lovely Idlewind boots. Super comfy, love all my Idlewind boots. They don't even take me breaking in. I got my Modern Fit Scent shirt, which first time I've ever wore one and felt comfortable in it. This stuff, Courtesy of boot one. We love it. It's got secret pockets for hiding gifts for me for Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes, for hiding gifts, all right. Yes. <laughs> Keeps you warm on these cold Texas nights. I thought I did that. <laughs> you do. As the largest Western and workwear retailer in the nation, Boot Barn offers the largest selection of boots and clothing for any and all occasions. From ranch work to rodeo events and nights out, Boot Barn is a heritage brand that supports local communities through veteran support programs, rodeo and local event sponsorships, local artist collaborations and more. My next guest is my favorite Indian, Dougie Hall. Doug, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me, Luke. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, you bet. And, you know, I started following you on Instagram and some... Oh, hey, look here. Wait, wait a second. 
I got Dolly Parton on it, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Dolly. <laughs> but uh, I started following you on Instagram, and you really drew me to you with your 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 positivity, but you're, you know, you're no, you're no backing down. You say how it is, and one thing I always love, if you, what, how do you say it? If you, if you use it, great. If you don't, tell, tell me that line real quick. I say it's your favorite Indian, Dougie Hall. If you like what I say today, please use yep. it. If you don't like it, then don't worry about it. And that's exactly right. It, 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 what you say, if you can use it, great. And if you don't, don't worry about it. But so many people get wrapped up in what you say and how it might affect them. Well, if it doesn't affect them, keep your mouth shut. Don't say nothing. And, and that's what I like about you. All your, you know, you're straightforward. Tell it as it is. And um, gosh, some of the things you come up with are absolutely amazing. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to you. I mean, when you started this, what was your intention and goal? I was going through a pretty rough time in my life. Uh, a lot of things was just falling apart. And my dad always told me, you gotta get back to your basics. And uh, what's the basics for every human? It's like water, food, shelter. And he told me, well, uh, you gotta get to your basics, what makes you, you. And for me, it's always been horses. You know, that's why uh, my Uncle Mouse let me use the name uh, Matsunokomitawakima means crazy after horses. He said, because if there's anybody that's crazy after horses, it's you. I thought, well, shoot, I got to get back to horses. Got to get back to bucking horses. And so that's what I did. I was scrolling through Facebook and I found videos for George Veter over in California. Yeah. Here's this guy that's like about 60 years old. He looks like he's in his 30s and he's riding Bronx, you know, damn good right along with the young guns. <laughs> And uh, I see like Lefty Holman, Dawson Hay, like all these NFL yeah. guys there. He's got high school kids there practicing and everybody's smiling. They're positive. They're happy. They're having a good time. They're encouraging one another, not trying to be better than one another. They're helping each other get to elevate, that. elevate each other. Yeah, they're elevating each other. And I thought, well, I need some of that. So I got a hold of George and he said, uh, can you come down here? And I said, yeah, I'll leave like now. So I got <laughs> I got in my car, I drove down there, and uh, got to hanging around those guys, and shoot, I hadn't been on a bronc in like two years, but just from being around those guys, I uh, um, I mean, you could tell I was a little bit rusty, but shoot, the, the, I, I rode pretty decent for not riding for two years, just from being around everybody that was uh, right. elevating each other, you know, it was good environment and I met Mang Lee there with Makeline Productions and Real Time Magic. He was George's media guy at the time and he told me, he said, uh, I was visiting with your boy Chase Brooks uh, and uh, Chase is actually uh, in, the, in the Indian way, he's my cousin. His dad was uh, adopted in the Indian way by my Uncle Mouse and my Aunt Joy. So they kind of, you know, had they had a hand in raising him. So anyway, so Chase is my cousin. He said, I was talking to your your cousin Chase Brooks and uh, L'Oreal Harbor from Bronco Ride Nation. And um, we all agree that you got a gift and you don't use it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when you talk, people listen, you got a story to tell and you don't use it. And I said, well, how do I use it? He said, just start videoing yourself and talking and put it on social media. I said, well, what do I say? He said, say what's on your mind and your heart. Well, and like I said, I when I started watching your, you know, your posts and seeing how many likes and, you know, how, everybody that was following you you obviously have impacted a lot of people uh not only the native american people but outside of that which is which is huge and for me i appreciate it because i was at a point in my career or my life where i didn't know where i was supposed to head you know i was 
in contemplating retirement, did retire. And just to hear you talk, and they're right. When you talk, people listen. And, and I think that's an awesome gift to have. And the way you're sharing it with, you know, with the world through through social media. And then also, I know you're doing uh, you're doing some motivational talks too. How have those been going? What the hell? I was I was listening to a TED talk one time of this guy. He just uh, he was a recovering uh, uh, addict, and he he went into business for himself and. He handled his business like how he handled his recovery. What the heck did he say? He said, you do uncomfortable work. What the, what, or you be rigorously authentic. Be yourself, don't worry about what people think. Be rigorously authentic. Do uncomfortable work and surrender the outcome. So I just start, after I heard that, it just really hit home with me. And I just started trying to live my life and do my talks by those three rules. and. When I quit caring what people thought about me, then them talks would go really good. People people would always laugh too. I mean, then they start labeling me as a comedian uh, because I, I don't know, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, people listen to you and you're funny. Yeah, just from doing, uh, what did we say? Uh, being rigorously authentic, doing uncomfortable work and surrendering the outcome. Well, and I know how hard that could be because I've done some uh, some motivational talks with with diabetic diabetics, you know, in, in groups, and uh, also some bigger talks. And it's almost like the saying, you know, when you're a kid, they said, "Rehearse in front of a mirror," or talk to, you know, speak like people are out there naked. So you just you forget about all the embarrassing stuff that you may say, might say or do, and just speak like you're talking to yourself or talking to a crowd of naked people. So I did use that, um, and it helped me a lot. But I like what you said too, just. You know, go out there and be yourself. Don't worry about what anybody thinks of you because they paid you or they hired you to be there. So they want to hear what you have to say. So it's awesome that you're going out and doing that and, and helping motivate other people. And, and and the thing is, you never know at any time or stage of somebody's life what you say may affect or it affects them in a positive way. They might have spiraled downward, downward you know, but what you, those words you said might have lifted them out um, of the trenches per se, and, and helped him out so much. And even with me, you don't realize that that's happening until people come and say, hey, you said this two months ago and it helped me get get out of a ditch. What about your rodeo career? You started uh, when you are young, obviously, family rodeoed. When I was a kid, my uncle, he was a bronc rider and he was a great one, you know, probably one of the best ever come from this tribe. But they uh, they Indian relayed a lot, a lot. And you've probably, have you seen the Indian relays? Oh yeah. Yeah, like my dad and uncle, that's what that's what I grew up doing is they had an Indian relay team and we traveled to every fair in Montana and Idaho and you know, northern Wyoming. Every weekend was a fair in the summertime. Right. And my dad and uncle when they would uh you know, they were constantly like exercising the horses and breezing them and stuff. And it's hard to keep track of a little kid when you're trying to exercise <laughs> you know what I mean? Exercise them horses. So if they do, they just throw an old campaigner in a corral for me and just just leave me there and he was my babysitter so that's what i grew up doing was uh just i learned how to be a good a good indian i didn't know how to be a cowboy but i was a good indian you know you could stick me on a horse and i could stay there but <laughs> I, I didn't know nothing about cows or any of that till i got like into high school and stuff and yeah i started riding bronx when i was like 16. i wasn't very talented at it i had to work at it i'm still working at it and i'm about 30 now i've just now finally started to come around and have you know little bits of success here and there. It's taken me a long time, but uh, shoot, I think when when Creator made me, he forgot to add the quit, so 
<laughs> well, when he made you, he also made you the size of a bulldog or two, so a little bit tougher in the bronc riding, right? Being that size. Yeah, I joke around. I've, uh, it probably pisses some of my little buddies off, but you know, all them bronc riders, they're about that tall. And <laughs> so you, you go behind the chutes, and it looks like the Western version of the Lord of the Rings, like I'm the Indian Gandalf. <laughs> Surrounded by a bunch of muscly hobbits. <laughs> yeah, that's that is the truth. That is the truth. Uh, there was something you posted about, and it makes it makes complete sense. Uh, you were talking about the the Indian rodeo and how each tribe has their own rodeo, but don't want to be segregated and all of that. And I mean, there's so much truth to that. You know, you have your PRCA, you have your Bill Pickett Association, you have your Hispanic Association, your Indian Association, and it's almost like we segregate ourselves. One thing I, I love what you said is, what tribe was it? He said, why don't you guys have your own? He said, we do, the short route. Yeah, I won't say his name. But... <laughs> <laughs> Will it upset him? Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah it probably, probably pissed him off a little bit. There was a crow guy, because after, well, first they had a, a, the Indian rodeo, and um, after the Indian rodeo, the all Indian rodeo, they had all crow rodeo. And then it was no big secret what was going on. Shoot, they had all the fancy prizes in the all crow rodeo. They had the horse trailer, <laughs> the saddle. Nothing for the all Indian rodeo, but the all crow rodeo had all the prizes. Yeah, the all crow rodeo had all the good prizes. <laughs> and uh, this crow walked up to one of my one of my Blackfoot buddies and said, Hey, how come you guys don't have an all Blackfoot rodeo? And he, you know, he's a smart ass. He said, we do. It's called the short round. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I laughed so. I think I was in the car drive, or Lindsay was driving. I don't know. Hey, but I laughed so hard. She said, "What's so funny?" I said, "This, this was spot on. This was that was great." How many rodeos and uh, tribes like do they have that separate and have their own? I have no idea. I, I know the crows did it and then the Blackfeet did it. They tried to do it. I mean, I didn't really understand it and I'm going to make a lot of people mad, but that's okay. They probably like me anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to, excite you're good at it, express your opinion and, and let people know what you're thinking. When I was a kid, you know, I started out rodeo and, you know, my family rodeoed and there was this, this romance of being a, you know, a cowboy, bronc rider guy and stuff and doing these all Indian rodeos and whatnot. And then, I got into it and I started, you know, rodeoing and, you know, starting to ride Bronx. And after a while, I realized that the most prejudice I've ever faced was from my own people. <laughs> they treated me good when I started out riding bucking horses. But once I started to kind of make moves in that area, like started to improve and get better, a lot of them really treated me like shit. You know, they didn't, they didn't treat me as good. It's like that, what is that? Crabs in a bucket mentality. Like they want you to do good, but not better than them. Right. You know what I mean? And they're not about elevating each other. It's all, I don't know. It's all about me, 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 or this or that, or don't get me wrong. There's a lot of positive things to it. There's a lot of great people in Indian rodeo that have influenced my life and my career and a lot of the things that I do. I don't know. I faced, like I said, I faced a lot of like, uh, prejudice and jealousy in it and especially once i started getting close to my uncle mouse you know my uncle mouse he's raised bucking horses his whole life he's known throughout the whole pro rodeo community you can't go i can't go anywhere in this country in the prca rodeo world and people hear my name and they not ask me about mouse hall 
Right. Yeah. He's raised, if I'd run out of fingers and toes trying to count how many horses that man's raised that went to the national finals. Anyway, I got close to him and uh, I started falling in love with the breeding of the bucking horses too. You know, that, that became a passion of mine. And I really faced a lot of jealousy around in my community for that. And it was really hard on me because a lot of it came from people that, you know, were my heroes at one time. Right. You know, a lot of close family members and stuff. And it broke my heart. Well, and, and understandably so, because there are people that you, you know, like you said, family members you loved and and figure you could do anything and, and they'd be happy for you. I finally, I broke down and I was talking to Mouse about it because I was frustrated. I was trying to ride the Indian rodeos, ride the pro rodeos. And then these Indians didn't want me to buck my horses, you know, and say, saying and doing not nice things to me to keep me from doing anything with those horses. And um, I was really discouraged and I told Mouse about it. Mouse told me, my boy, you can spend your whole life trying to be the world's best Indian. Or you could quit being afraid of white guys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the wisdom of the older generation is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's crazy. And then, like, after I took I took that to heart, I took it probably a lot further than he thought I was gonna. So I just flat quit going to the Indian rodeos and stuff. And I started just uh, riding pro rodeos and um, taking my horses to where uh, to play with them in places where it was with the pros, you know little Dougie Hall knocking heads with the, you know, the guys with million dollars in their bank account, you know what I mean? Right. It was, and it was a lot of fun. I grew a lot and I learned a lot from it. And I've kind of started gaining somewhat of a reputation in the pro rodeo community. And like, and he also told me, Mouse, he said, you're only as good as the company you keep. He said, so if you hang out with five meatheads, you're going to be the sixth. He said, but if you go and hang out with them pros and those champions, he said, you know, something will rub off on you that's what i decided to do and that's what i continue to do and anybody that asks me for advice i tell them the same thing <laughs> well and that's the that's the best advice you can give anybody you know uh in no matter what sport or what walk of life you hang out with meatheads you're going to be a meathead you hang out with champions or people that want to get better you're just going to rise up to the to their level a lot of the indians they don't like me for that but they damn sure respect me and I'd rather be not liked for who I truly am than go through life kissing people's ass, you know, in hopes I can get get a little bit of grain here and there. <laughs> no, I agree 100%. How many horses do you have now that are going down the road? I got around 30-some head, but right now I have uh, three that are, like, ready for a fraternity team. So I'm going to take a team to Mile City fraternity team so i'll have a six-year-old a five-year-old and then i, I think it's like a, a three-year-old to buck with a dummy mm -hmm. and the, uh fraternity at they're in the bucking horse sale in mile city mouse will do the same thing i'll take his horses down there and we'll play with them other than that i have like eight or nine mares that i'm breeding and um i think i got the stud mixes figured out like you know after i bought them horses from mouse and she'd had one old guy tell me you know how come you got two studs you only have like nine mares you don't need that many studs but you know it's like playing keno you know what i mean it's uh some mixes work and some mixes don't 
kind of a thing? The thing is, there is a there is a recipe for success as far as breeding livestock to get the best you can. I mean, in the bucking horses and the bucking bulls, and you see it, especially with the PBR, uh, how those bull breeders have enhanced the bucking bulls, just as you're trying to do with the with the bucking horses. About every year, we got like uh, I think it's like well now nine colts, and then we raise them up and to where they're about say like around two years old and we'll try them with a dummy just to kind of see what's on their mind and make mm -hmm. sure they can keep their feet and kind of uh you know build their confidence you know what i mean because that dummy's got a quick release on it at the right time we'll hit that release and let them buck that dummy off so they kind of feel you know kind of proud of themselves a little strut around that confidence yeah i <laughs> gotta build that confidence i want to crack their egg yeah that's exactly right what uh, so what do you got planned you know for this year obviously take your horses to the rodeos and then you yourself entering up or are you just staying in montana circuit or are you going to try to go a little bit harder i'm going to go a little bit harder so i designated for the last uh this will be my third year columbia river because like right where i live i live you know in north central kind of northwest montana so it's uh it's pretty much just as far for me to go to columbia river as it is anywhere in montana because montana is such a big state <laughs> yeah you're in browning right yeah in browning yeah yeah so i i hunted up a swift dam with uh sean little i don't know if you know sean outfitter out there uh -huh. uh, we went over to swift dam and then hunted the uh, what do you call the great bear i guess so yeah i've spent quite a bit of time up there and it gets pretty damn cold yeah <laughs> it gets pretty chilly up here i think it was like <laughs> the heck was it? it was a few weeks ago it was like negative 40 with a negative 60 wind chill that'll make the boogers in your nose freeze yeah <laughs> what about your wife yesterday we just got her moved down here from british columbia i imagine it's great to have her there with you uh i want to talk more about your motivational you know little short clips you put on instagram but those do those just come to you you write them down or you just turn the camera and i know you said you know, you talked with them and they said, just put the camera up and, and shoot it. I mean, is this stuff that is always running through your mind? Like, man, I got to say this, I got to do this. Or I'm curious because usually when I think of something, I'm driving, then I totally forget about it and it never, it never comes up again. It's usually something like, uh, Mang told me, he said, you gotta, uh, whenever you feel it, stop what you're doing and just, you know, hit record. So that's what I do. It's usually something that I need to hear too. A lot of times mm -hmm. then when I say it like I feel better and it seems like any time that I say it like when I feel something like that like it just spreads like wildfire like apparently a lot of other people needed to hear it too so whenever I feel something I just hit the record button and yeah just it's it's been working out so far <laughs> well you know I, and I don't know if a lot of people know this but you you lost your mom in a tragic drunk driver and accident um, and and I know that you really promote not drinking and driving and not, you know, all that stuff. And that hits home because there's, you know, so many family members that have been lost in such tragic, you know, incidents. And then to have a guy like you speak out about it, it is huge. Um, and it means a lot to, to, I'm sure, all the families that have lost somebody in an accident like that. But hopefully drive it home that, hey, life's too short. You need to, let's take advantage of it. Don't, don't do anything crazy or don't do anything stupid. I don't know, when I was 14 years old, I literally, like I watched my life flash in front of my eyes and you know, there's no other way to say it. My mom died in front of me. I don't know, I've just never seen anything good come from drinking. And I understand now as an adult that I can't control people, places or things. And people are always gonna do what they're gonna do. There's no way you can control that. 
what helped me was somebody told me their story and I found a piece of myself in that person. And by somebody being open, and when you talk like that, you gotta bleed a little bit every time. With that person being willing to bleed a little bit, share their story with me, it gave me a survival guide to keep living, you know, one day at a time. And so I figured, well, shoot, if I that person can do that for me, maybe I can do that for somebody else, you know what I mean? Well, you, you're damn sure doing it for not just one person, but several, and I mean, you can see, you know, obviously people comment on your posts or like some of your social media, and, I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna push you as much as I can because what you've done just for changing my life and, and what you say and how you go about your life has been very inspirational. So, again, for me, I appreciate that, um, man. I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Best of luck to you. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing. You know your career, your bucking horses, your bronc ride, and your show, everything. You know your your motivational talks, where they go for you. Shoot, I appreciate you, Luke. Man, I think it's such a cool thing to be on here with you. Because when I was, a, I, I'm not trying to uh, point your age out or nothing, but when I was a little guy, <laughs> <laughs> he's always my favorite bulldog. You know, ever since I was like that big, <laughs> man. It's almost like you see the same guy go out and do the same thing, whether it's riding a bucking horse or. Uh, bulldog and a steer you know what I mean they're all clean cut cowboy doing the same thing it's like you watch the same guy over and over but it was always different with you because you always had fun with it you know you'd throw one down and you'd kind of shake <laughs> everybody is, is good medicine you know what I mean uh, yeah, it's funny when we were in Vegas and I seen you at uh, was it Losers Lounge with Jenna Paulette and Ian Music and they were playing and I hadn't met you in person yet I walk up and they're like oh there's Doug I'm like yeah that's good and then you walk up I'm like that's Doug up here I mean you're a you are a ox of a man you're what are you six two six three uh six foot three I think I just got done growing last year (laughs) (laughs) well you should you should be a steer wrestler too and I know that that there is the crossover I believe it was um he was from Rod Warren from Canada I watched him ride Bronx and then uh, go Bulldog of Steers. So anyhow, but no, I appreciate you coming on and best of luck to you in the future. I appreciate you, Luke. Thanks for having me on. And I really appreciate your friendship, man. Yeah, you bet. And everybody go out and check out Dougie Hall on Instagram. And I promise you're going to love what he has to say. (laughs) Thank you, Luke. I just think I want you to know that I think it's Smoke Show that you're trying to reference. I know what the reference is. I like Smoke Wagon better. (laughs) because you could haul that ass.